welcome to week two of It Takes a Village. This is an intentional look at why we are who we are, who God has called us to be, where God is calling us to go. Last week, we began with understanding that as a village, we come together individually and collectively from various tribes, all through the centrality of Christ as the driving force. And we talked about why we exist as a church. We exist to be a community where people encounter Jesus and their lives are changed forever. And we looked at a radical encounter that Jesus had in John chapter 9 with the man who had been born blind. How Jesus pursued him. How Jesus was a personal savior to him. And how the man positioned himself to share his encounter with Jesus to others. And we looked at our response to that. That Jesus pursues us. That he's personal to us and that we need to be putting ourselves in positions to share Jesus with others. And one of the ways that we do that is through this community, this gathering that we call Country Bible Church. We share our existence to be that community where people encounter Jesus. And through that encounter, their lives are changed forever. And we're going to look at that again today as we look at a sermon entitled Tribal Markings. Tribal Markings. We're going to look at what defines us. What defines us as a church? If we exist to be a community where people encounter Jesus and their lives are changed forever, if that's, if that's what we're all about, our central focus, if we're so myopic and intentional in that, we need to look at what defines us. And we're going to do that as we study Acts chapter 2, specifically verses 42 through 47 today. But before we do that, let me jump in and give us a little bit of culture and context. In Acts 1-8, Jesus his last recorded words are, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And Jesus ascends into heaven, and as he ascends, the disciples are staring up, gazing off into the skies, when two angels of the Lord appear and say, men of Galilee, what are you doing? Didn't Jesus make his expectations really clear? You've got work to do. And collectively, they gather together, and they make their way back toward Jerusalem, where they're with the rest of the disciples and the apostles. And one of the first tasks that they had was appointing leadership to replace Judas Iscariot. And they, they go through this intentional process of finding, identifying, and implementing new leadership. On the heels of that, Jesus had promised that when he left, he would leave the Spirit, that the Spirit would come upon them, that they were to prepare their hearts, that they were, ready to, they were to ready themselves to encounter the Holy Spirit. And as they are in this place together, the Holy Spirit descends upon them. Tongues like fire, which has so many biblical references and significances. You see, God revealed himself as fire by night. And we see that fire is used to purify, that it removes the dross, it gets rid of the old. We see throughout scripture this tremendous symbolism, how God presents himself through fire. So it's no surprise to me that on the day of Pentecost, that God presents himself as fire in the form of tongues. It's called Pentecost because it is 50 days after the Passover. There are countless individuals, Jews, who have come from every nation that are represented in Jerusalem at this time. They've come for the Passover festival, and they've stayed 50 days for the day of Pentecost. They were celebrating the festival of weeks, God's provision. And as they're celebrating, they're making this pilgrimage. They would go on these pilgrimages three times a year. There are people from all over the place there are so many cultures represented. There are so many languages and different dialects represented. Socioeconomic backgrounds represented. Family backgrounds represented. Upbringings represented. It is a conglomerate. It's a hodgepodge. It, it reminds me in parallel to what I've experienced in my journeys to New York City. You can walk down the heart of New York City, different parts of it, and it's like stepping into different worlds, different countries, different cultures. You can be in Little Italy in one moment, and you can step into Chinatown the next moment, and then by taking the, the A train or the E train, you can be in a different part. There's Hasidic Jewish cultures out there. There, there are Hmong cultures out there. there. There are all types of different cultures represented, and yet they're in the same area, the same vicinity, within the same city. That's what I envision when I read this story that there are Jews who have come to Jerusalem from every nation gathered together. As 
the Holy Spirit descends upon the disciples, they begin to speak in known languages. They begin to speak in tongues. It's what they call a sign gift. It's a, it's a miracle. And as these Jews are coming from all over Jerusalem that represent the diaspora that have been dispersed throughout the region, they come. And even though there are Jews from every nation, tribe, and tongue represented there, they each hear the disciples speaking in their own native tongue. It's a miracle of epic proportions. And it's not the first time that this has happened. You see this going back to Genesis 11 in the Tower of Babel. You see how God will make his name known through a common language, but it, it seems... It seems miraculous, and it should to us. As all these Jews come and they converge on the scene, they're standing around and they don't understand one another because they speak different languages, yet they hear these disciples, and it's as though they're speaking to each one of them individually, and they begin to speculate amongst each other. How is this even possible? These guys are drunk. They've had too much wine. Here they are, they're just gibberish and babbling and they're just going on and yet we all understand in our own language they've got to be blitzed, they've got to be wasted. It was a good tailgate party. <laughs> and the disciples come out and they rationalize with all these Jewish individuals. They say, wait a minute. Are you, guys, it is nine o'clock in the morning. It is way too early to be as drunk as you're suggesting we are. What's going on is that the Holy Spirit has come upon us and God is moving through us. Peter then steps up at the establishment of the original church and he gives this declaration, this gospel presentation clear as day where he tells them, you put Jesus to death by your attitudes and your actions. Each one of us, in fact, have done that. And today I stand before you to tell you that our only response to the sacrifice that Jesus gave is to repent of our sins and to surrender our lives to him. And in every language that was represented there, they heard the gospel presented clearly. These countless individuals that had come to encounter religion or express religion had encountered Jesus in this moment. And it says that that day, 3,000 gave their lives to Jesus through an encounter with him. From there, the first church is established. And what we're going to read today is multiple miracles of epic proportions. We're going to see that what defined these men and these women and these children when they come into an encounter with Jesus, what defined them, where they found their value, where they found their identity, where they found their solace, where they found their peace, where they found everything in light of the encounter with Jesus, begins to radically transform and change. Why? Because that's what happens when we encounter Jesus. Our lives are changed forever. And so what they're defined by is going to move from a collection of experiences and belongings. It's going to move from the relationships that have defined them and the work that they've done that have defined them. And it's going to move into a radical new definition New tribal markings, things that stand out, things that people identify and recognize them by. So with your Bibles in hand and your hearts open and ready to receive this gospel, Father, I pray now for our time together. Redeem it for your glory. Encounter us where we're at. Move us where you want us to go. May this presentation be clear. May it be accurate. May it be authentic. I invite you to do what only you are capable of doing through redeeming this time for your good and your glory, for your purposes. Father, thank you for this. May the words of my mouth and that the meditations of our hearts be received as a gift to you now. Amen. In light of this sermon, 3,000 coming to faith that day, the disciples come together, the believers come together, the, apostle, the apostles come together and they form this brand new gathering this brand new ecclesia, this, this community of faith. And we're going to read these verses together. And we're going to stop and look at them. Beginning in verse 42. All the believers, now initially this might have represented the apostles and the disciples, which would have been a number around 120 to 148. But we know that those who had encountered Jesus through this message had believed in Jesus as their savior. 
And so it's a safe assumption then that this moves away from the church leaders and to a larger community, a larger gathering. All the believers, over 3,000 now, have devoted themselves. That word devotion or devoted in the original language, it means all in. It's a totality. It's everything. They've given themselves entirely to this new defining moment in their lives. They're all in. All the believers devoted themselves. Now we're going to run through a list of some of the defining characteristics, the things that stood out amongst their community and that others noticed. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, koinonia, and to the sharing in meals, including communion or the Lord's Supper, which we're going to take part in this afternoon, and to prayer. And we've talked about prayer, that prayer is aligning our hearts with the word, will, and way of God. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to, and to prayer. Then it says in verse 43, a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the disciples performed many miraculous signs and wonders. One of the things that screams at me as I read this is that they continued to experience a deep sense of awe at the things that God was doing in and amongst their community. May we never grow tired. May we never grow weary. May it never get old, the act of God sweeping through Country Bible Church. May we never come to church and expect these things and lose sight of the significance of these miracles of Jesus encountering broken men and women and radically changing their lives. May we never grow tired of hearing the number of salvations that are represented as a body of believers. When I say that to date we have had 268 first-time commitments to Christ, may we never grow tired of that. Church, last week, last week, I did not give an altar call. I did not get a, give a moment to respond to the gospel. And yet the Holy Spirit moved. And in the 915 service, as I was walking out those double doors to my right, your left, a man came and grabbed me, startled me. Big, big guy grabbed my arm and he said, Pastor, I need to talk to you. Do you have a, a couple of minutes? And I went and I met with him in our youth office. And that man, through the, 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 the gospel presentation, and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in his life, fully surrendered his life to Jesus last week. May we never get tired of marriages being restored. May we, may we never get tired of men that are stepping up to their responsibilities as husbands and fathers and brothers and, and laborers for Jesus. May we, may we never get tired of people's lives who have been restored celebrating those and sharing that with others. May we never grow weary of the things that God is doing in our community. I think we have a, 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 a propensity to just assume that it's going to, this is just the way it is and, and not really recognize the significance of what God is doing in our community. I have a friend, Jared Little. Many of you know who he is. He'll be here in February as he is our keynote speaker at our men's conference. And Jared is a, a nationwide church consultant. He goes in and he helps people build these church prospectus and, and look at the health of their organization and what they're doing that's working and what they could do better. And as I spoke with Jared just this last week, he said again, Pastor, I don't ever want you to lose sight of what's taking place at your church. There are churches that will go a decade without ever experiencing one salvation, and we've had 268 in a year. The average church in America is running 80 people right now. We had 268 salvations in the last two years. We've had 100 people baptized in the last couple of years. We've given out over 800 Bibles. Church, may we never grow weary of being in awe of God. We exist to be a community where people encounter Jesus and we should stand back in awe of each and every last one of these encounters. It is changing our community. It is changing our culture. I can't go into a grocery store. I can't go into the mall of Walmart in Blair. I can't go into the, the gym. I can't go get a cup of coffee without running into somebody who has heard about what God is doing here at this church. I was at Panera Bread three weeks ago in Omaha. 
And a guy found out who I was. He said, hey, you're the pastor of Country Bible Church? I said, I am. He said, I've heard about you guys. The Apostle Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you in my prayers for your faith is being reported all over the world. The things that God is doing, these miracles that he's moving in you are so exciting that you, you, you're sharing them with, with everybody around you. You're sharing them on social media. You're sharing them in relationships. You're sharing them over meals. You're sharing them at work. You're sharing them. And it's exciting. Why? Because we should stand back in awe of a great and mighty God who is moving. Let us never grow tired, God. That is my prayer. Let us never grow tired of the miracles of your moving in us. They, they met together for these reasons and a deep sense of awe continued to come over them as the apostles performed many miraculous signs and, and, and wonders. And all the believers, church, I want you to circle everywhere in here that you see the word all. It begins in verse 42 and you're going to see it more and more. Verse 44, and all the believers met together in one place. Solidarity, unity, cohesion, synergy, Collective unity. They met together in the same gathering place and they shared, underline the word shared. They shared everything, not some things, not selective things, not the things that were most comfortable to them or the things that cost them the least. They shared everything they had. And here's how extreme it got. They sold their property and possessions And they shared the money with the least of these, the marginalized, the misrepresented, the misplaced, and the mistreated, the orphans and the widows. They sold all that they had, their own land, their forefather's land. This is family property now that has been passed down from generation to generation. And they sold their belongings and their property so that they could bring together in a collection money so that they could give to the least of these. They shared at the most personal level. I met with a friend just recently who said, man, uh, you want to know how, how, how somebody trusts you, start talking with them about their finances. That's personal. That's knowing somebody at the, at the most intimate level because we find so much value of who we are in, in what we have. You want to know what somebody values? Talk to them about their budget. Talk to them about their 401k, their retirement. Talk to them about their, their possessions. And just watch. Sit back and watch. We find our defining moments in the things that we have. Let's be honest. And here, the things that defined them, their possessions, their family land, all that they had, they sold off. And what did they do with it? They didn't invest it in the stock market. They invested it in community. They invested it in others, those who had tremendous needs. Let's look what happens. They sold their possessions and property and they shared with those who had need. Verse 46, they worshiped together at the temple each day. Oh, church, I need us to get this. Each day, every day, 365, keeping it real. They went and they worshiped collectively together. How often? Every day. Do you know that the latest church research from Barna Group suggests that that committed Christians, committed Christians that say, I am a born again believer. I have fully surrendered my life to Jesus. I am actively involved in the church. When studying their calendar of involvement, the average all in Christian will attend the local expression of faith called the church no more than 1.67 times a month on average. That's the national average right now. The reason that we don't pack out all 400 plus chairs we have in here every week is because we got too many 1.67 people. That's a true story. We, 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 we've got too many people that, that they're, they're, they don't have margins in their lives enough to put God first. Oh, there's no amen in right now. Oh, it was real good when we were talking about selling all you had and giving it. Hey, pastor, I got need. Make sure folk around me selling their stuff and I'm first in line. But now that I'm talking about how we create margins in our life to put Christ first in community, that we make church a priority, that it's not just when it's convenient, that these disciples, the demonstration that they gave us was that they experienced life and ministry together. This was a defining moment. They experience life and ministry together daily, and yet we struggle to to muster up the energy to come to church 1.67 times a month. They met together every day. They worshiped. How did they worship? 
By throwing their hands up and surrender. You know, no, no. People, people, people ask all the time, Pastor, why do you stand up front and throw your hands up and, and worship? Like, what's that about? Are you airing out your armpits because you're about to go preach? <laughs> this, is, this, is, this, is, this is all I know to do. This is a sign of surrender. Put your hands up. Let me see your hands. Let me see what you're holding on to. Let me see what you, you, you go ahead, go ahead, get pulled over by the police sometime and make some fast movements and watch what they say. Let me see your hands. Don't, no, no, no. Let me see what you got in your hands. Put them up. Put them up higher. Turn around. Let me see what you're doing. And what this is saying is, look, I've got nothing except what you see in front of me. This is coming to God saying, God, without you, I've got nothing. This is also touchdown, which I will be celebrating a lot of today as the Eagles prevail. This is a sign of victory. Not only this is a sign of surrender, this is a sign of victory. I mean, I mean, this isn't, we can get excited. We can go to concerts. Back when I was a kid growing up, we had lighters. Now we got cell phones with apps. And we'll put our hands up in the air to, a, to, to, to you know, like a, like, a, like a John Cougar Mellencamp concert or, or Garth Brooks was the last one I went to or, 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 or Toby Mac or whatever y'all, like Jimmy Buffett. It seems like he's here every month. Like whatever you're going to, you can sit there with your hand in the air for Margaritaville. But when it comes time to worshiping the one true king, you're like, ah, oh, and I'll stand with arms high. Okay, not very high and heart abandoned. <laughs> This is nothing to be ashamed of. And maybe you are airing out your pits a little bit. I just asked you to put some deodorant on for the people next to you. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is, Jesus is worth getting excited about. Jesus, newsflash, Jesus is a big deal. Amen. And in order for us to get excited about a big, what's wrong with getting a little excited? You throw your hands up when you're excited at your kids. Are you kidding me? I mean, you think about everything you throw your hands up in the air for. How many times did you throw your hands up at Martinez this last year, Nebraska fans? Oh, come on, I could have completed that pass. Oh, will you call that defense? Jesus, all that I am and all that I have, I surrender to you. This is an act of surrender. It's an act of adoration. They worship together. You know how else they worshiped? By selling their belongings and giving to the local expression of faith. They worship God through giving of their tithes. Dirty word in the church, tithes, 10%. Do you know that the tithe was actually the first Active example of worship? Cain and Abel, what did they take to God? Their sacrifices. And what kind of sacrifice did God find pleasing? The first fruits of the labor. Now we look at it like it's a dirty word. Are you kidding me? I get to give to the local expression that is a church because when we honor God, he doesn't need it, but he'll use it. It's not what God wants from us. It's what he wants for us. You give to the local expression that is a church and you know that you are a part of the 268 people that have come to Jesus. You know that your expression of worship is a part of how we've been able to afford the Bibles that we've given out, over 800 of them. You know that the local expression of worship through the church is just saying, God, I'm just giving you everything. I'm not going to be a tightwad about it. It's all yours. They worshiped in community together. They worshiped. They worshiped. They worshiped without knowing the ending. We know how it ends. How much more should we be excited? This is like, we're, this is like watching the worst football game ever because it's the best football game, but you already know who wins. TiVo a football game and then somebody tell me what the score is. I'm not even going to watch it. You know what I'm just saying? Anybody, anybody here know what I'm talking about? If I record a football game, don't tell me what the score is. Because if you tell me the score, I don't even want to watch it anymore. You just ruined it for me. These guys are actively pursuing faith without knowing the outcome. We know who wins. All the victory goes to Jesus. He says they worship together at the temple every day. Not 1.67 times a month, but every day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. Why in homes? Because home is a sign of community and it's a sign of family. When you open your home to somebody, you're saying, you are family. Come in. Commune with me. Dine with me. Sit at my table. We are community together. They basically said, look, we're all family. We don't come from the same neighborhood, but we're all family. They opened it up. Their meals, they shared the meals with what? With great joy and generosity. Church, what would happen if we started living our lives in ministry together with this kind of attitude? Right? So many of us are focused on aptitude that we miss the attitude. 
Am I doing it the right way? Am I giving the right amount? Am I spending the right amount of time in church? Am I dressing the right way? Did you see Pastor last week without his coat on? He has tattoos. I thought he was just joking. He really does. Like we look at all the aptitude of it. But what if we came into it and said, oh, my attitude needs to be one of joy and generosity. I'm excited that I get to be in community with others. I'm ex-. They sold everything they had and the Bible says they were excited about it. They were joyous about it and they were generous with it. Come on, church, what happens if we get excited about our Jesus? What happens if we get excited about telling everybody that Jesus is a big deal? What happens if we go all in with everything that God has given us, beginning with our attitudes, followed by our aptitudes? They, they brought all this stuff together and they shared with great joy and generosity. Verse 47, all the while they were praising God, active lifestyle, and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. They were enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Let me put this into you, uh, to, you, to, you, to you in common vernacular, modern vernacular. People just liked being around these Christians. Do people like being around you? Do people like coming to your home? Do they like getting together for coffee with you because the conversation that you're going to have makes them feel better about who they are because of whose they are? Do non-Christians like coming around you because of what defines you? Are you known for your joy and generosity? Are you known for your approach to life and ministry together and community? Or do people stay away from you? Do people cautiously approach you when you talk about your faith. The thing I love is that they were so committed to Christ in community that others around them, non-believers, non-fully devoted followers of Jesus are looking on at these defining tribal markings, these things that made them a village. They were intrinsically attracted to it and began to involve themselves in the community. When people see us actively pursuing Jesus in community together, in these ways, there's seven different attributes marked here, seven different tribal markings. When people see that we actively pursue what we say we stand for, and it makes a difference, not only this side of heaven, but for all eternity, and it makes a difference for them, and people know that they, not only can they come, but we want them to come. When we no longer see an ethnicity, when we no longer see a dollar sign, when we no longer see a zip code, when we no longer see whether you are a Hawkeyes fan or a Nebraska fan, when we no longer see whether you're new in faith or you're old in faith, when we no longer see each other through the things that define us according to the world standards and we begin to realize whose we are and live that out, I promise you, church, we will be an unstoppable movement of Jesus. People will want to come here. We will have to get a police officer and, and a sheriff to direct traffic every single week because the traffic congestion, because everybody can't wait to get here. They can't wait to see you. They can't wait to sit by you. They can't wait to worship with you because they know that you're crazy enough to put your hands up and they feel okay doing it too. They can't wait to sell what they have and come and just, and just be a part of contributing to what Christ is doing. They can't wait. When you, when you give your life over to Jesus because of the encounter, it changes everything. These guys had encountered Jesus and it changed everything. You don't believe me? Okay, culture, context. We now know what they did. Let's consider that with culture and context. It says that on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover, all these Jews had traveled from every nation. Literally, the tribe of nations is represented. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of faithful religious people have come from their own tribes with their own language their own cultural context, their own family backgrounds, their own baggage, their own socioeconomic standards, their own ways of living. They had their own, their own tribes that they were a part of. They came from everywhere. They weren't just divided by proximity. They were divided by religion. They were divided by race. They were divided by money. They were divided by language. They were divided by every. They literally, you could, it, it was, imagine going into, uh, uh, going into a Wakanda forever. Anybody who's ever seen Black Panther, and maybe you haven't, you should. Uh, it's a cool movie, but as you look at it, there's a scene where, where, where the, the prince comes out and he's looking at the kingdom, and there are multiple tribes that are clearly marked as different, and yet they stand together, unified as one village. That's what's going on here. People are coming from everywhere. They're coming from Elkhorn and Gretna and Bellevue 
They're coming from Omaha. They're coming from Tecama. They're coming from Herman. Not even a city. Herman's like a, a gathering. <laughs> they're, coming from, they're coming from Iowa. They're coming from all over the place. They're coming from all over the place, setting aside their own individual tribes to become a part of a bigger village. Something that, that says more. Something that does more. Something that is more. So now that you understand this, everything is dividing them. According to the standards of the world, they're looking at everything that separates them from one another. And here it says that everything that separated them, they set aside. It was no longer about their language, their preferences, the style of music that they liked, the style of preaching that they preferred, the seat in the worship center that they sat at. It was no longer about what their favorite football team was or what their favorite meal was or how much property they had. It was no longer about the individual things that defined them. Every one of these individuals from every nation, tribe, and tongue sold everything that they had for the betterment of the community. Do you understand how radical this is? You want to understand even more? Go to the bank tomorrow. Tell them you're putting your house up for sale. Once it sells, and it'll sell. You can't keep a house on, on the market in Bel Air. And once it sells, take the profit from the sale of your house. Go into North Omaha. Find a community that you know nothing about that has the greatest need and give every last cent of the equity from your house to them without strings attached. That's literally what they were doing. Come on. They weren't storing up for themselves everything that they thought made them a bigger version of who they were. They weren't building these museums of legends. They were on mission to create a legacy of Christ. I want to talk to you about why we exist and what define us as a church. We exist to be a community where people encounter Jesus and their lives are changed forever. And while these disciples were known, they were defined by gathering together, worshiping together, giving away their belongings to each other, celebrating the Lord's Supper, praying together, doing life and ministry together, fellowship together. While these were the tribal markings, let's talk about our tribal markings. We have been able to take these and put these absolute necessary characteristics these defining characteristics of the, of the core of believers, and we've summed them up in four words as a church. So when people ask you, hey, what is your church about? You get to say, at my church, we gather, we grow, we give, and we go. Gather, grow, give, go. That's it. Let's talk about why. We gather for three reasons, straight from the word of God. We gather to exalt the name of Jesus. Why? Because it says that the believers met together every day in the temple and they celebrated Jesus. So we gather to exalt the name of Jesus. We gather to encourage one another. Why? Because Paul says in Romans 1.12, that is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by one another's faith. We need each other. We're better together. We are called to encourage one another. And we gather to equip the Christians, to equip the saints, to do the ministry that God's called them to. Essentially, you're gathered here together right now, getting equipped so that you can fill out those serve cards so that you can go be the gospel in this community. Make no mistake about it. I am not here to motivate you. I want you to be motivated. I don't want you to come begrudgingly going, oh my goodness, I got to listen to that guy again. I get that enough at home. <laughs> I want you to want to come to church. I want you to want to be moved and encountering the Holy Spirit, but I'm not here to give you a, a pep talk, a spiritual pep talk, your best life now. I'm not here to try to, to, try to woo you. I mean, that's just kind of intrinsically who God has wired me to be. I care about connecting people to one another, but we're here to equip you. So, so, so we, we gather to exalt Jesus, to encourage one another, and equip the saints. We grow. That's the second defining characteristic. We grow. And how do we grow? Through life and ministry together. We grow through the programs that we have here at this church. We, and we're going to be a whole lot more intentional about it this coming year. I just want to let you guys know up front, we're taking an inventory of our church. And I recently asked our staff and our elders and key ministry leaders to tally up all of the ministries of Country Bible Church, everything that's an active ministry or a program. And I asked them for the number, and Pastor Mark, with a team of people, put together the list. 
I wouldn't even ask you to guess how many ministries we have as a church. So I'm just going to tell you. Currently, Country Bible Church has over 100 ministries that make up our mission. And that's a problem because we're spread way too thin. And so in order for us to be the, the, the fullest extent of what God's calling us to, we're going to begin to, to pare down through why we exist and through our four core values as, as, and through what drives us, which we're going to look at next week and the week after. We're going to try to cut our ministries by 50% this year so that we can be even more focused and intentional about everything we do. Not that those ministries are bad ministries. They just don't all have to be run through our staff. You guys want to start a knitting ministry? Praise God. I am not going to start that with you. I'll, uh, like I'll, have, I'll just be walking around with, with gauze all over my hands all day from stabbing myself over and over again. You want to, you I don't know, you want to start an MMA ministry? I, I'm, I'm in. Wait, I just said we're not doing it. No, my, my point is, guys, we want, to get so, we want to get so much better at what God has called us to do. So we're, we're beginning this process in 2019 to say, okay, if we're all in, what does that look like? In, in ministry. So we grow through life groups. That's key. That's fundamental. That's life and ministry together. Let me tell you what's going on with the men in our church. There's a movement amongst men in our church. Uh, a few weeks ago, I just called up a few friends and we now have about a dozen guys who are interested and they have begun meeting on Wednesday mornings. I now have over 20 men on my desk that are interested in being involved in a life group that, that they need to be plugged in. Um, I don't have enough leaders. Why? Because you're only coming to church 1.67 times a month and you don't want to be inconvenienced. I need you to step up. I mean, it's, it, it, we get together, we pray together, and we talk, we walk through the scriptures together. It's awesome. If you're not involved in a life group, you've got to be. Not because I say it's a good idea, because God ordained it. We've got to be in life and ministry together. Culturally, contextually, we need each other. We're better together. In just a couple of weeks, we're going to look at how God sent the disciples out two by two. Why? Because they needed each other. They're better together. We need each other. We've got to, The biggest way we grow here beyond Sunday morning and our equipping is through life groups together. We also grow through various programs. We've got an amazing Awanas program. We've got an amazing student ministries. We've got an amazing adult uh, Sunday morning stuff going on. We've got amazing kids ministry going on. We've got a lot of really cool things we're doing. Get involved. Start growing. And we also grow with individual accountability, one-on-one. I know so many people who are just waiting for somebody to step up and step into their life. I just need to know you're here. We need to know that you're all in. The third thing that we're about, the third defining moment, the third tribal marking, is that we give. We've talked about this a little bit, but Country Bible Church is going to be known not just for giving, but for their radical generosity. Do you see that? We're not just going to give with joy. We're going to be generous. And we're going to give in three ways. Our time, not just 1.67 times a month, but we're going to give of our time to make a difference for, for Jesus. We're getting ready to do some more facelifts around the building, and I have a friend of mine who's super talented at all things construction. The guy is, he's, he's amazing. And I began to cast a vision for what we want to do with a living room scene and making a place for moms with young kids who, who just kind of, the whole thing, and with our offices, this guy said, I'm in. Pencil me in. He owns his own business, and he said, I'm going to take, take the time that it, that, it, that, it, that it takes, that it requires to do this, and I'm just going to do it. He just said, I'm in. He found out there was a need, and he stepped into it. He's just going to be present. He's going to be available. Do you know that's the first thing that Jesus needs is for you to be present, to be available? God can't use you if you're not available. You say, well, I want God to do big things through me. Are you available? Well, let me check my calendar. God, hold on one second. Do me a favor. Call Brooke and see if if I'm available. God, would you thanks? We got to give of our time. We got to give of our treasures. This is our money. This is our, our possessions. And we've got to give of our talents. And every one of you has been given an awesome talent. When I find what mine is, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> every one of us has been given these awesome talents. And they just need us, God just, just, God just requires us to step in and to share the talents that he's already given us. And then, so, so our tribal markings, we gather to exalt the name of Jesus, to encourage one another and to equip Christians. We, we grow through life and ministry together, through life groups and through ministry programs and through doing life in ministry, and we give of our time, our treasure, and our talents. And then lastly, the fourth and final core value that defines us, our tribal marketing, is that we go. There's a, a story in the Bible. Jesus gives this example of a wedding banquet and how the, the master of ceremonies opens up his house to all the elite, the rich people. 
And you know, none of them show up to the wedding banquet because they all had something better to do. One guy said, I got to go look at my land. Another guy said, I got to go check out my sheep. Another guy said, my wife said I can't come. And so the servant goes back to the master of ceremonies and said, well, rich guy can't come because he's too busy admiring his land. Other rich guy can't come because he's too busy counting all of his assets. And the third guy can't come because his wife said he can't come. What do we do? And the master of ceremony says, go out to the streets. Knock on every door and invite everybody you can to the ceremony. And the guy says, all right. And he goes door to door, inviting people to encounter Jesus. And he comes back, he says, hey, they're coming, but there's still room at the table. What do you want me to do? The master of ceremony says, good. I want you to go to the dark alleys. I want you to go to the low-hanging branches. I want you to go to the highways, the byways, and where nobody else is going. And I want you to find everybody you come across and invite them to encounter Jesus. And so we're going to do that. We're going to go. We're going to go door to door. We're going to go neighborhood to neighborhood. We're going to go community to community. We're going to go in Blair. We're going to go in Washington County. We're going to go. We're going to go. We're going to go because we're all in. We're going to go and we're going to invite people to encounter Jesus because what we know is what they don't yet know, but they will know is that when you encounter Jesus, your life is changed forever. And just like last week, when you realize that Jesus is a, a, a savior who pursues you and that he's a personal savior, when you encounter Jesus, it's up to you to position yourself to share your experiences with others. And so we're going to go. We're going to gather. We're going to grow. We're going to give. We're going to go. Church, we are going to make this so unbelievably easy for you in the next two months. And actually, much more than that. But let me just tell you, let me tell you some ways we're actively pursuing this core value as a church. First is next weekend. We've got the comedy night. We've got three amazing men and women of God coming to share their time, their treasure, and their talents with us. They're going to come, and we are going to literally laugh people into the kingdom of heaven. I would rather laugh somebody into the kingdom than to give them hellfire and brimstone and scare them into the kingdom. And so Mike James is going to come with Brian and, and, and their friend Grace. And they're going to come and, and we're going to laugh together. Tickets are only $15 for two hours of family fun entertainment. And it includes desserts. And here's the deal. If you can't afford 15 bucks, find me. And I'm going to find somebody in the church who's going to donate to make sure you're here. Why? Because we're going to be known for our joyous, radical generosity. Get out here next week. And by the way, we're going to give you a discount. If you buy 10 tickets, I think it's $10 a ticket, right? Something like that. 12, I don't know, something like that. Just please, we're giving you every opportunity to bring people out to church in a non-threatening way. I think they're going to make fun of me. I'm threatened. This, guys, this is awesome. As you go out, those double doors straight behind you, and you go to your right, there's the table set up with tickets. You can buy your tickets today or you can go online, countrybible.org, and buy your tickets. I'm not trying to sell you. This is not an infomercial. I'm not trying to sell you on an event. I'm trying to simply present an opportunity for you to go out and invite people to encounter Jesus in a way that meets them where they're at. Another way that we've got coming up is in February. It's our Step Up Men's Conference. Last week, you heard me introduce my friend Brandon through a bit of his story. And I want you to actually get to see Brandon in person today. So church, help me welcome my friend Brandon Dangling to the stage. Brandon, last week you so graciously let me uh, share your story and then you forgot to tell your wife that I was going to share. So that's awesome. She was good with it. Uh, a year ago, Brandon didn't know Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Uh, 11 months ago, Brandon went to the Step Up Men's Conference. Nine months ago, Brandon responded to the gospel right here, gave his life to Jesus. And for the last nine months, God is literally and radically transforming this man's life. He has restored this man's marriage. He has, he has done immeasurably more in this man's work and in his family than, 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 than you would ever imagine. And Brandon is just like one of us. He's just one of us. And so I want, I want to ask Brandon a couple of questions for anybody who's thinking about the Step Up Men's Conference as an opportunity to go and bring people in. Brandon, you went last year. What is something that stands out to you, something that was profound about last year's conference? There's a lot more people here than you told me there would be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would just say I remember having this thought. I was very paranoid about going. I've never really had a lot of experience with this stuff, you know, so I had a thought, and I, I think I told it to Chummy, actually. It's kind of funny. 
that if they handed out cups of Kool-Aid and I got to drink this thing, I'm going to have a hard time going to this deal. <laughs> so, but uh, now I wish it was that easy. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> take it and go, man. Um, it was so non-threatening. And I, I think there was a part of me that had a hard time believing that there were people that actually cared without an agenda. Hmm. You know what I mean? Come on. That's you good. always think that someone expects something from you. And frankly, it's just opened my eyes to a whole, whole other deal. So, I, you know... That was the biggest thing for me, was That's just good. how communities really needed, and I never believed that until I went there. That's so. good. Brandon, in light of what you experienced last year and encountering Christ this year and your life being transformed daily, what are you most looking forward to this year about the men's conference? Well, now I'm not the rookie, right? So I get to come in and feel a little more comfortable, but, you know, after I went through that, I went to my, my workplace, which is very hard for me to do. I'm a pretty private guy, but I found three other guys that I invited, and they're going to be coming with. Um, so, I, I want to make sure you understand this clearly. Brandon is a financial advisor for one of the largest financial investment firms in the nation. And he, is, uh, he manages a team of over 20 people. God has blessed him with massive responsibility in a very corporate setting. And you have an opportunity to share your faith. This last week, um, most of our videos, people will watch over the course of several months, and we'll get about 150 views of our sermons on average. In the first three days this last week, we had over 124 people watch Sunday's sermon. Um, Brandon, I called, Brandon called me up. He's like, hey, bro, you're not going to believe this. I've literally watched the sermon on Sunday 10 times, and I've shared it multiple times. I was having lunch with a guy on my team, one of your managers, and he said as they sat down to have lunch, he said, I don't know, man, but I, I just want you to watch this. And on his phone, they sat there at lunch and watched the sermon together. He went to a local business in town. I got a text message from a guy in our community who said, bro, that sermon on Sunday was outrageous. Brandon Dangler was just here and told me I had to watch it. Thank you. So um, what Brandon is saying is he's excited about bringing people with him to encounter Christ. That's awesome. Thank you for that, Brandon. Anybody here, husband, father, brother, wife of a, of, a, of, of a husband, mother of a son, sister of a brother, child of a father, anybody who's on the fence about going to this conference, what is one thing you would tell them? Uh, for the guys, if you got a bruised rib because your elbow from your wife right now, uh, I think kind of what I learned is God's going to talk to you in the way that you need to hear it, right? And for me, he kind of slapped me up against the head, which is exactly what I needed, frankly. Um, he used my wife, and I owe thanks to so many people out here in the community for helping my wife. She's been going here for three or four years, and I just started coming nine months ago. It's been a long journey, so I would just say for the guys, if you feel not satisfied with your life, if finances are in line or not, if you're upset about or feeling incomplete with your marriage, I would just really encourage you to, as the conference name says, to step up and to be a real man, find out what it means to, to be in community with other men, because it's unbelievable what that can do for your perspective. And then for the women, I'd keep elbowing. <laughs> keep kicking them because, like I said, I think he's going to talk to you in a way that you need to be, that you need to hear. And I've learned in the last year that he really speaks through my wife. <laughs> so, Amen. does Amen. that make sense? <laughs> Amen. So, Amen. here you go. He said, are we good? He wants to leave. Can I get out of here? Uh, last week when this individual found me and he grabbed my arm, at the end of our conversation, he's telling me everything he's going through in life. And he said, after I got done preaching and I shared your story, he said, Pastor, basically what I'm telling you is I am Brandon. And what do I do? And I said, the only thing I know to tell you to do is the only thing that Brandon did, and that's fully surrender your life to Jesus. And it was in that moment that he responded in obedience to the call of salvation in Christ in his life. And Brandon, you're a friend of mine. 
Yes, sir. And somebody that I, I, I love dearly, you, your wife, your girls, I just want to publicly tell you how proud of you I am for um, doing the hard work of giving your life to Jesus daily, being the husband that God's called you to be, being the father that God's called you to be, honoring Christ in your community, even at work in one of the, the, the most cutthroat industries in the world, that, um, man, that you are living Christ in this community. I'm so proud of you, brother. Thanks. So, thank you. Thank you. I hope I took the guesswork out of why we exist as a church to be a community where people encounter Jesus and their lives are changed forever. I hope I'm taking the guesswork out of what defines us, what, what our tribal markings are, that Country Bible Church is all about gathering to exalt the name of Jesus, to encourage one another and to equip Christians, uh, growing in life and ministry together, giving of our time, our treasure, and our talents, and going to the highways, the byways, and the low-hanging branches, anywhere and everywhere to reach people for Jesus. That's what defines us. One of the other defining attributes of the Christian life is what the disciples celebrated through what they call the Lord's Supper. If you grew up in religion, you probably know it as Holy Eucharist. If you're new to faith, you've probably heard of the word communion. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, sat at the Passover 50 days before Pentecost, 50 days before what we read today. Jesus sat at the table with his brothers. He said, guys, I love you. I want to celebrate this with you. And so they they took the unleavened bread as a way of saying God provided for Moses and the Israelites when there was no other way. And they did that. They weren't able to, to bring the yeast to make the bread rise. And so it was unleavened bread. And they would make, bake this unleavened bread as a way to symbolize it. And Jesus, he took this bread and he broke it. And he said, guys, I want you to know that this represents my body, which is, which is going to be torn apart for you. So when you eat this, I want you to do it a little bit different because I want you to think about what I'm doing. And they had this common cup of wine and they would pass it around and they would recite these prayers and sing these songs as a public act of worship. And Jesus grabs this common cup and he says, guys, this, this cup represents the blood of my new covenant. Not that the old covenant is gone, but it's completed, it's fulfilled and the new covenant is here. And so I'm gonna spill my blood for you and as often as you drink this, remember me, celebrate. This is what, this is what it literally means when it says that the disciples never grew tired, that they stood in awe of all that God was doing. And so when we take communion, it's a way of us remembering with awe all that Jesus has done. We've got multiple opportunities for you to receive communion this morning. At the front to my left and to my right are communion tables with bread, crackers, and and juice. To the the far back left where our cross is, is a table that is gluten-free. And we've got a table in the far back right that is also regular crackers and juice. And we also have an opportunity, if you are unable to get up, if you need assistance, to simply raise your hand and allow one of our team members to come and bring you communion. But in a moment, Pastor Alex and this amazing worship team, they're going to help lead us in worship, where we get to raise our hands and surrender, and in a holy touchdown, say, Jesus, all that I am and all that I have is yours. I surrender to you. And as we're worshiping together, I want to invite you to come and to celebrate, to remember, to stand in awe of the fact that Jesus is a really big deal. Father, thank you. We love you. We give ourselves away to you. Amen.